Hello everyone and welcome to the Talk Music Podcast, where we chat everything and anything related to the world of music and occasionally focus on topics a little bit unrelated. My name is Scott Cowie, I am a drummer turned comedy singer-songwriter and apparently now a podcaster. You're going to hear me chat to many different people, but more often than not, it will be fellow musicians having conversations about their careers and lives within, arguably, the greatest art form in the world. And you get this for free each and every week on scottcowie.com, on Stitcher Radio, and now on iTunes. So please rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, let them know what's going on over here. But for now, enjoy the show. Guest this week in the podcast, The Little Comets, a great band with a great story. Caught up with these guys at King Tut's Wawa Hut in Glasgow the other night and they stormed the stage, to say the least. Big thank you to everybody who listened and downloaded last week's podcast with Bizarre from D12. Can you believe it? Bizarre, total legend, joined us in the podcast. Our rates in terms of listens and downloads are going up and up by the week. Subscriber count is fantastic as well. Huge thank you to everybody who listens to this on iTunes, scottcowie.com, the lot. Definity Rocks also joined us last week on the on co-hosting duty and her rapping and bass playing is phenomenal right now. The European tour was great, so big thank you to everybody that's involved in this podcast. We've got the little comments coming up. It's going to be a good one. Before we get to the interview with the little comments, I'm sitting here with somebody who's a huge fan of the band, Paige Turley. How is it going? Hi, good thanks. How is it with you? Not bad. We were at the gig the other night, right? Yep. You happened to be there. I tried to avoid you, but um, <laughs> how good for the guys' guitars? Oh, it was brilliant. They were so good. Such a good atmosphere as well. You and I had a conversation because when uh, it came about that I was going to be interviewing the guys, you'd mm-hmm. spoken to me about how much of a fan of the band that you were, yep. so it makes sense for you to be on this podcast. Uh-huh. Um, so how long have you been listening? What tracks do you like? What is it about their sound that attracted you to the band? Um, I've actually more recently started listening to them when their new album came out, Hope is Just a State of Mind. Um, oh, they're brilliant. One of my favourite songs for that album uh, was probably My Boy William. Uh, but they're good, they're a good band. Great yeah. live band, I've seen them because you were telling me all about it and I was, yep. uh, I've got to see, you're much more familiar with the band than what I was at the time and I started uh-huh. doing my research and I thought they're a really, really good live band and of course the story behind the group as well, they were signed to Columbia, then they went independent mm-hmm. after that, it's really, really interesting and then in this interview, it touches upon that and it's fascinating so stick around for that. I'm trying to think how a link that we could um, go into your experience of the last couple of years, Paige. I can't think of one that's it's so smooth so we'll just talk about it. Right, okay. A certain TV <laughs> show that you were involved in. Uh, I wonder what that was. Mm. <laughs> right, how did this come about then? Paige, if you don't know, was in a, a well, can lay claim to the fact that you're a Britain's Got Talent semi-finalist. Yep. Do you feel cool saying that? or? Uh, I don't know if cool's the word, actually. Do you go about telling folk, no, everybody? No, no, I don't know if you've seen me, but... Uh... <laughs> I actually get a ripping for my pals off it. So, no, I try and keep that... Does that keep you down to earth, uh, Yep, yep. How, have you been, or during the time when it was all happening and shortly thereafterwards, have you been recognised and stuff like that? that um, is that kind of thing happening? Ah, uh, yeah, but it did. And it was Apart from nuts. in your house? <laughs> I went to the airport one time when I was going down to London for the semi-finals and... Um, 
the many pictures that people wanted and like I thought that was totally nuts and for fault I was like that's not <laughs> I don't know why you got a picture of me um my papa got recognized a lot as well like sometimes he would get recognized and then they go oh that's actually the wee lassie that sings that's just her granda and I'm like oh I thanks <laughs> you know so you jealous of your papa and just the fact a, that he was oh. getting that <laughs> and he never let me live it down like right so tell us how it came about then how did you find out that they were do you get notification that Britain's Got Talent are doing additions did you was there a poster how does that happen um I was advertising in the telly and I can remember when I was younger always kind of watching it um, and then I just kind of put an application in, and then they came back and was like oh let's get you through let's get you let's hear you kind of thing <laughs> in all honesty do you think you would get past the first round do you think you would get far no. did you have an inkling did, what would you think did you just um, think so that I'll apply for it did you have an idea I didn't actually tell my mum and dad I'd applied for it um, and then I got an email saying come to Edinburgh or whatever blah 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 to meet the producers so I went through um, and I didn't really think much of it went out for some lunch after it and went headed home and it wasn't for months later I got a phone call um, basically saying oh it's blah 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 from Brit's Got Talent we're here you, you had an interview and we want to hear you again and I'd completely forgot about my, my audition with them so it was kind of a shock to everybody including my mum and dad <laughs> so you did one round with the producers or was it two rounds with the producers and then the telly or um, one round with the producers singing in front of them and then it was an interview kind of thing over the phone they basically grilled you um, and then the third time was in front of the judges Cool. Now it's quite. I'm, I'm, I've seen the, the video. There's seven and a half million views on that. Uh -huh. It's quite a famous edition, isn't it? Really, uh. it's, it's quite well known, right? Because uh -huh. obviously, you were 14 at the time. Now you're mm -hmm. the tender age, <laughs> experienced veteran at 17. Uh -huh. But um, you're only 14. You're uh -huh. going on the thing, and there's a kind of. Everybody's got this, oh, the lassie's 14, I don't know what she's going to be like. And of course mm -hmm. she sang and you sang really well and it gets a massive reaction. Going into that, and as you touched upon earlier, you've spent years watching Britain's Got Talent and X Factor and you've seen people getting grilled and people uh -huh. getting, dare I say, humiliated on that. Did that cross your mind? Maybe this is going to be... Um, Of course, yeah. I kind of... I was actually more worried about the speaking part, the interview part, like, I can as tell. soon as I, <laughs> I I'm, I'm not, interviews are not my strong point. Um, but I was scared, I had to lose a bit of my accent so they could understand me, and then I was fumbling my words, and, but uh, obviously it was still in the back of my mind once I started singing, as what, how was it, they got to take it kind of thing. Luckily, they took it really well. <laughs> Right, and uh, you get four yeses. Simon Cole, what did he say? Did he say he had a great line to um, kind of summarise it? Don't know that uh, you don't know. <laughs> Actually, and I quote, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I said that he really liked my voice. Um, I can't actually really remember, that's bad. I just kind of went blurred out. But, um, of course, you haven't been watching it. You've just been refreshing the page on YouTube. All the views all the actually like enough for me. See, really, the IP dress is on my house. <laughs> Excellent. There you go. That's yeah. spoiled the illusion. No, it's amazing, right? So you get past that, and there's a few rounds later, and you're in the semi final. It's quite an uh -huh. achievement, though, isn't it? When you consider that, because um, you seem to take it so like in your stride. Um, uh -huh. Did that have anything to do with the fact that you were so young at the time? Because you see, um, hear so many stories about people really kind of struggling with the pressure, uh -huh. and millions of people watching it every week, but you were fine. No, right? actually, like, I don't know if it was maybe a good thing because I was so young. I just didn't really, like, not cross my mind, obviously, like, cross my mind. But I was sitting in a room with, like, Aunt Beck with her side there and loads of people, and I was just kind of like, oh, cool, what's for lunch? Kind of thing. Like, I, it wasn't too faced, but I don't know if it was just maybe because I was so young and didn't really understand maybe everything that was, how big it really was, but. Um, no, I didn't really face me too much. 
There you go, ladies and gents. Right, we're going to, we're going, we're veering totally off the point, but we're going to talk about the little comets when we come back. Fantastic gig at King Tut's. The guys are on tour right now. You're going to hear all about that. You're going to hear all about what they've got to say about the record deal, so on and so forth. It's going to be a good one. Okay, I am back on the Talk Music Podcast, sitting at King Tut's Wawa Hut with the little comets. How are we, guys? Not bad, thank you. How are you? Not bad, yeah. You had uh, a ferry journey from hell, is it fair to say, with the time of the morning that you were up? It was very early. I nearly didn't make it because I put me, uh, I put the alarm on my watch, but it didn't go off and I was enjoying my sleep thinking, this is good. And the phone rings. It's like, your lift waiting outside. You've got to go now. So me and Matt just jumped up, got with stuff and just lobbed it in the van. And uh, Luckily, there was a phone in the travel lodge. There's never usually phones. Um, in travel lodges, but in, in this one in Belfast there was. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it could have been uh, disastrous. So Belfast last night, how was that gig? Yeah, it was good. Got, we know quite a few people in Belfast like because me and Mickey recorded a bit over there with a band called General Fiasco a few years ago. Right, okay. So we're still keeping touch with the lads and like, me and Mickey went up early on the Sunday morning. We had a game of football with them. So it was like, I don't know, it's it's always good playing Belfast because there's just like familiar faces there. So right. Good crack. Yeah, definitely. And familiar faces in Glasgow as well, because this is, how many times have you played King Tuts now? I think it's six or seven. Yeah, uh, probably. It's good, yeah, it's getting on, it's good. It's, it's a pretty magic venue when you come up the stairs and you see the radio heads and the Oasis is, and all the rest yeah, of yeah. it. Can you remember the first time you played here? Was it with hockey? Yeah, it would have been, I think, with a band called, sport a band called Hockey here. That would have been 2009, maybe, 2008, 2009, maybe, yeah. October. Maybe it's even earlier. Was it in October? Something like that. Yeah. Right, and you t- I, sh- I assume you heard of the venue before and the, the bands that get signed there and everything. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, you get a great sound. What the Glasgow audience is like, have you found that? We find that the they like the heavier tunes a bit more. Right. Um, whereas when we play Edinburgh, people are definitely a bit more reserved. And I don't know why, but Glasgow, especially this venue, people tend to really just get into it a bit more. Right, and I'm sure it'll be the same tonight. Obviously, the the albums just went straight in at number five in the, the independent charts. Uh-huh. Massive, massive deal. Obviously, the reaction's been good so far. Is it a bunch of new tunes tonight then off that album? A few, like, it's been hard to try and like, balance the set list because even though we have got a new album, it's people people just come to see, because some people come to see the old stuff, some people come to see the second album. So it's trying to keep the balance. We don't want to like just place just play the newer songs because I don't know it's like we can't just forget the older songs because like they're like all of the songs are written they're all our little little babies so it's nice to nice to play like a, a, a variety of them I think and your band is I suppose well known for how independently you are doing things not just musically just everything about the business side of things um was it regretful at all signing to Columbia do you look back on that experience as a positive or negative thing what your thoughts it's hard because like there's definitely some like negative aspects of it, I think, because we just we didn't really need what 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 a major label had then. Like I think we didn't realise how strongly we wanted to produce our own music or be involved with like every single aspect of it until somebody tried to take it away. Um so I think if we'd have if we'd have thought about it a bit more and prepared a bit more maybe he wouldn't have signed to a major label in the first instant would have maybe you know gone down the independent route a little bit more but um at the same time like like financially we 
that was a really good deal for us. So we were able to like sustain the band for a bit longer than say if we'd have released an album with them and then got dropped straight away. So it was almost a blessing in disguise to get dropped before the album because then we got the album back. It was ours and we got a little bit of cash off them as well, like a little golden handshake. <laughs> and because we're pretty frugal, we've been able to like keep like functioning as a full-time band for a lot longer. And I think that's, it's stood in really good stead because we've been able to kind of like, you know, like we've bought quite a lot of recording equipment. So now we can record ourselves and, I don't know. I think we'll we'll learn a lot about ourselves from it as well, like how much we did want to do things independently. So I don't know how it was for you, Matt. Yeah, I think it, it it's kind of made us a little bit more determined as well, because I think there was a bit of a sort of like a two week period after sort of parting ways with Columbia, and it was a bit like ah, what we're going to do now. And then it kind of I think I got a phone call off Rob what early one morning. And he just said, you know what? Let's just let's just do it. Let's just go for it and just keep on keeping on and let's do what we've been doing and let's just crack on. And it, for me, that like it really spurred us on to kind of think, you know what? who needs them that sort of thing like mm -hmm. not as maybe it's not as blatant as that but yeah I, I think at this point now looking back you're going yeah that was a good decision it was a good choice to kind of just go aye let's keep doing this and who, like yeah who needs them that sort of thing I think there was a moment throughout that whole process where you thought do you know what instinctively this just isn't going to work was there a particular moment or was that a series of things it, I'd say it was it was it was gradual um I think the first moment for me was they'd asked about producers for recording the album and we'd kind of given them a list of producers that we really admired um and they were like yeah that's great but what about this bloke i knew that was coming yeah. and i was a bit like right and we tried it and can we listen to what he'd done before and it didn't sound like it would work but we thought well you know we've got to have an open mind to these things these people are experts like gonna listen to them and it didn't work and i think at that point, it was a bit like, right, hang on, you know, and it started to be like that with lots of things that kind of send like ideas through for videos and say, oh, which one, which one do you like? And we'd be like, oh, we like the first one. And they were like, okay, but we're going to do the third one. And we were a bit like, well, don't send it through then, just say, this is what we want to do. And it kind of, it did get to the stage where we had to really like battle for things and Producing the album was a big one. We kind of worked with a few people that they'd wanted and it, it hadn't panned out right. Mm -hmm. They didn't want, for whatever reason, to work with anybody that we'd we'd mentioned. Um, so they were like, right, well, you know, they were really reluctant about it. They were like, right, you can do it. Um, and I think we just felt a bit let down that, that we'd kind of trusted them very, you know, a lot early doors and they hadn't really like it questioned our like what we did like musically and i think we felt well if you can if you can have a pop at us and what and how we write songs and how we produce the songs then we we'll look at your plans and we we'll like ask questions of you know what your strategy is going to be what singles you're going to release in which order and really like really didn't like that um and i think it was just a case of people who were just I think like the bottom line for them was we've in, we this is an investment and we have to see a return on this investment, whereas we were just our approach was more if the music sounds fantastic then it'll be great for everybody, and uh, that disconnect, which was tiny at first as the process went on, it just became became a chasm, and once we started kind of questioning 
what the other did it was just that was that was the end of it really yeah, yeah. but what was the most disappointing thing was that apparently the reason that the drop were was because the head of the label had a meeting with the head of radio one and the head of radio one said to him that this year we're just not gonna like guitar music's not in this year so he went back to his label and he dropped about three or four guitar bands on the spot so it wasn't even because that fundamentally you were at opposite ends of the spectrum it was because he'd had a conversation with somebody at radio one who said oh well we're not you know guitar music's not in this year and it just makes you think like firstly how short-sighted is that that like even if you hear the greatest song ever like, firstly the whole idea of guitar music yeah. i find ridiculous because it's just like for me it doesn't matter what you know i don't know like our music has guitars on it but it also has different instruments on it so it, just to lump it as that's guitar music i thought that was <laughs> like the idea of having guitar music that, that's a genre of music yeah. i just thought that was ludicrous some people say acoustic music it's just like, well yeah it's like um so that was uh, that was crazy and then just that you could say oh yeah yeah that song's great but it's guitar music so it's not it's not cool this year and then what so if you hear a song on the 31st of december you don't play it but if you heard the same song the next year it's like all right get guitar music's back in now and these are people who are like you know who are the gatekeepers for for and that bloke's still there george ergitudis is he called yeah so top man radio one it's just it's pretty sad uh, it's pretty sad to be honest it's it's really like it's just it's not even narrow-mindedness it's a whole new sort of it's been so full of your own sense that's what it is <laughs> that you that you that you say things like that and but then the, the head of a major label doesn't say yeah but you haven't heard this music yet he just goes all right all right i'll, I'll, I'll bring you something else in <laughs> mm. mad do you think there's any motivation that you guys have taken from that like for instance this tour's doing really well we've done ever so well since and it will continue to grow and um, fan base and all the rest of it you taking any is there any part of you wanting to really prove them wrong is that any part of the motivation you think i think a little bit of it at first it was real it was i think especially with the label side of things it was like right you know we've worked hard for this ourselves so we're not going to let somebody just say right well you know that's not relevant anymore um and i think as it's gone on that's definitely diminished and i think it's more that that we just if somebody at a radio station wants to play with music that's great but if they don't i think we've we've managed to build a like our own little fan base who i think we've got a really honest relationship that none of them listen to our music because of something ancillary it's just because whether somebody's told them to listen to it or because they like it and They'll give it an honest listen if we make a song that, you know, is is sounds like whatever. They'll give it uh, a fair listen. Mm. If they like it, they'll back it. If they don't, they won't. And I think we really appreciate that that it's built on their perception of whether they like the song or not. There's nothing, there's nothing else around it. Um, and I think that gives us a lot of confidence that when me and Mitty kind of go into a room and write a song, there's no, there's no pressure there. There's nothing like. Do we need this song to sell a certain amount of copies to keep the label happy? Do we need this song to to be a big hit at radio? Do we need this song to keep an imaginary fan base happy? It's just about like let's write a song, and if people like it, 
great. And if they don't, then we'll still write songs, but it'll just probably not be as a full-time band. And I think it's taken a few years, but we're really happy like, with, with that. We've kind of arrived at a really like stable point in, in the band where it's, there's there's nothing there's nothing keeping it afloat you know it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't rely on anything that is fickle you know like a radio station or somebody writing articles it's 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 it is it is a nice feeling it's kind of it, it I think it was a similar thing when we started the label I know I'm rambling a bit now but that's no, great like, it's great um, we started the label at the start of the year and I, I came off the phone with 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 our manager. And at the end of that conversation, it was very amicable, but didn't have a manager, didn't have a, didn't have a label, just left with a publisher. And I remember when we started the band, everything that we worked towards, it was kind of very, very logical and very linear. And it was like, we need to, we need to get a manager, we need to get a publisher. And it was really kind of like step by step. This is what we needed to do to be in a proper band. And like last December, January time, we didn't have any of that. but. I just felt like really, I don't know, like if I wrote a song that day, we would, it would be our song. We'd, we'd own all the rights for it. It would be our little baby. Whereas before, you know, lots of people would have a share of it and really it wouldn't, it wouldn't be ours to do what we want with. And that was such a lovely feeling that I'd never really had before because when we started off being in a band, it was all about how do we get from A to be, how do we become a successful band? It was very kind of career driven and only by going through the mill of this is what it's actually like to have a manager and a label and a publisher um, who are pushing it in a very specific direction. Only by experiencing that thing <laughs> did we learn that, that actually what we wanted to do was just to write songs and record them and play them to people. and. It's like it's that simple. It's taken a few years, but like that's where that's the point that we've arrived at. I think. Mm. I think it's definitely it was definitely quite a, a scary thing, in in parts just to kind of go, well, who's going to help her now type of thing, but I then you quickly realise that you know you help yourself, you you just you graft and you work and you learn new skills and the things that somebody else did. You go, yeah, I'll learn how to do that. I'll I'll spend a day, a couple of days, you know, a week learning to do something and this the yeah it's just it's a really good feeling to to not have to particularly answer to anyone or like rob was saying to to please somebody else with what you do with like a song or a video or you know, photos and, and that sort of thing so it's, it's it's a really nice feeling you touched on your songwriting process tell us about it are you coming in with songs do you jam it out how does it all come together no like we used to um I think a big change in the sound from the first to the second album was that um, the first album was written in a rehearsal room with Mark, what old drummer. So it was very much um, just because of the volume, he, it, it just it was full of energy. Um, so we didn't really want to hinder the writing process by pausing and making big changes. So the music was very, very lively. And when we came to record it, it was kind of it was complete so the writing had been done and then it was the recording process and i think that was the sound of the first album whereas by the time i came out to record the second album mark had left so me and mickey then wrote the second album just in a room um and so the writing process and the production became 
like it just happened a lot at the same time. So if we really, if we reached a brick wall with a song, we'd build the soundscape, we'd work on that rather than just being completely stopped, stopped dead in my tracks with it. Um, and also because we didn't have to explain what we wanted to do to Mark, like we didn't, you know, and then it'll change into this bit and this bit. It, it freed it up a lot because we could just play it. I could just play and drive the rhythm and Mickey could drive the melody. So it, it meant that we didn't have to kind of stick to quite simple song structures or similar, like simple rhythms. Um, and then all of the percussion parts were written after the rhythm guitar parts. And I think that really changed the process. Um, to the similarities are that the lyrics always come last, like when we're playing, instead of just like saying la and da 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 da, I'll just attach words that are just whatever comes out of my head. So I'll have a rough idea what the subject matter is going to be, and then I'll go away later and sit down and then form the lyrics. Um, and that's all I've always done that. I've always done the lyrics later. Um, I don't know why, um, but that's just that's how it's how it's been. That was similar for this album to the second album. It was very much, you know, me and Mickey just just writing things, and then just in Mickey's garage. So yeah. Um, obviously, you mentioned before about different producers, about how you know you wanted to work with certain producers that didn't quite work out. Is there anybody that you would this in your bucket list as far as producers go that you would like to perhaps work with one day? Um, is that the support act on by the way? Uh, modern aeroplanes, I <laughs> busy woman themselves are probably sounds of it. <laughs> Shout out to the modern aeroplanes, great Hi. band. Sorry, uh, so producers and Andy you'd like to work with? Who do you think, Matt? Um I think I think we've all kind of, we've all said oh it'd be, it'd be great to work with like someone like David Bowie or you know like an, an artist. People who it's like people who it's never gonna happen. I think yeah. that's like <laughs> Brian Eno. Yeah, Tony Visconti or something like that would be would be pretty cool. Um, um, Bob, no, what's he called? The guy who plays the lap steel really well. Daniel Lanois. Uh, right. Um, you know, just like people who people, people who were never gonna get to uh, work with. Um, Niall Rogers. Niall Rogers, <laughs> yeah. Rogers, yeah be... Someone that you Paul Simon. Yes, someone that you know is not going to just be full of themselves. Like someone that would like serve the the music, particularly because that's what they're into, rather than feeding their own egos. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of maybe he's not feeding their own egos, but a lot of producers really like to take a band or a band song and really make it theirs, which I think for a producer to do is maybe is a little bit selfish. I think they should really. This isn't all producers, obviously. This is you know, this is in sort of in my experience. They definitely like to kind of serve themselves. Um, whereas I think the people like David Bowie, Paul Simon, they're, they're all they're all love music and they're all about music, or that's the kind of impression that you get of them. Um, so I think they would really do the music and the, the lyrics and the melody that you know they'd really get into all of that. Um, as I think the producers, some, certain producers can sometimes just wash over that. They're not particularly musical as well. Because I think you know certain producers aren't particularly musical. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, it's such a wide range in job title as well, like because it's yeah. so 
apparently Rick Rubin will just pop his head in the door and just go, no, it's not right yet. Mm. And the extent to which people involve themselves in the process as well, I think that's... Yeah, I think a lot of the time as well, with producers, it's, it's they work as with a, as a team with an engineer. I think engineers are, are really overlooked these days in, in recording. Um, like when you look back at the 60s and, and what engineers were doing, not particularly producers, but engineers, they, they developed micing techniques and, and ways to record things, which produced specific sounds that producers at that point probably wouldn't have even thought about because it wasn't in their skill set almost. And I, like, you know, I've, I've read a lot of stuff about when the Beatles and like Pink Floyd and stuff were in Abbey Road recording early stuff. Um, there's a guy called Jeff Emmerich who used to work as a, um, an engineer with the Beatles. Then he would go next door and work on the Pink Floyd sessions with Sid Barrett and stuff. And like, as much as George Martin, who produced the Beatles, was a brilliant producer, it was more it was like the soundscape and stuff was sort of created by the engineer and, and the sounds, which you know, which which kind of helped shape what they did musically. I think, um, especially later on. We're just talking about the Beatles here specifically, but later on in their songwriting process, the recording became part of that because you know that's how they wrote. They wrote in a studio because they didn't play live particularly. So I suppose the way that Rob was saying before that the the songwriting process had become melded kind of with the recording process. That's kind of what they did as well. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think engineers are, are overlooked these days, um, and it's something that. Me and Mickey are, are big into the whole sort of micing things up and getting different sounds through amps or or just putting a mic in a corner somewhere or you know micing it up through a drain pipe or you know, just daft stuff like that. But it, it's it's not the safest way to go about things. But it you know it, it's interesting. It's it's new. I think a lot of the time, and I like that. Awesome. Final question. I've been a couple of people have told me about this. What's the clothesline? Of percussion, is this what on earth is this about? Is this making any sense? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it's been retired now, right? It's been um, retired and can you explain on. this? Somebody tried to explain this to me, and I thought I'm just going to well, ask the guys. We used to have songs where we wanted some extra percussion in, right? So it was impractical to say because it would just be like five seconds of a song, and then you'd have to put it down. So we didn't have anywhere to put it, and if we'd have just picked it up and took it on the floor stuff would have just got broken right so i came up with the idea of having a bit of string that ran across the stage and then you could hang the percussion down got so it. that if you needed it it was just there so you weren't chucking it on the floor and you didn't have to like turn around and pick it up from somewhere and then put it back down gracefully it was just it was there so we just That's it cleared up we just I, I did it called page totally tried to explain that to right, me earlier right, okay. took about 15 minutes I had no clue <laughs> but now you've explained it in a couple yeah, of sentences right. it makes all the sense in the world Rob, right. then, Rob then wanted to make a percussion chair I wanted a percussion chair but, that you um, could chip across the stage but that was rejected out of yeah. hand listen, I think we'd have to have album. like wireless packs and stuff because the, the leads would have just been chaos for wheels on a chair like <laughs> excellent looking forward to the gig tonight best of luck with the rest of the tour and you tomorrow where are you Aberdeen then, then York York Birmingham London. London, Manchester, Newcastle. Awesome. Right. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, you too. Thank you very much. Cheers. Best of luck tonight. There you have it. I'm back now with Paige Turley. Do you enjoy listening to the comments there? Oh, they were brilliant. Aye. Better interviewers than me, thankfully. 
Yeah, of course you get a little mention there at the end, which is oh, nice. Thanks for the slagging. Thanks, nice one, Scott. Well, you know, um, <laughs> the clothesline percussion thing—that's all cleared up now. Great, great <laughs> band, and of course we were saying earlier you were at the gig the other night. I was yep. at the gig the other night. What is really, really encouraging, I think, for all these different independent artists and different and independent bands, is that Tuts is sold out. Mm-hmm. A lot of the venues are sold out that they're doing the tour, and everybody's singing along to their songs. Oh, it was brilliant. I don't know how, that must be an absolute amazing feeling for to be standing on stage and have a venue full of people singing back that song to you, you know what I mean? So it must be absolutely great for the guys. Especially when they've, you know, songs they've written in their bedroom and they went uh-huh. off through this journey getting signed with Columbia and then it didn't work out and it's it's great and it's good to see that um, they've got that motivation to really prove to the world that they can do it on their own and, uh, exactly. independently. Yep. They've got an absolute great story and that interview is really, really good. Um, but aye, that must be an absolutely amazing feeling, especially the fact that they produce it all in their shells and it's kind of all in them, whether it's an absolute success or failure kind of thing. How would you describe their style of music, do you think? Um, I'd maybe say kind of doing the indie route, but like with percussion and stuff. And <laughs> I it's, a good, I a good, it's got a real groove to it, aye, isn't yeah, it? It's got a real yeah. groove, but a great, great band. Check them out on the internet, and of course, don't forget to check out Paige. We'll get your plugs in for your social media. Now you're on Twitter, you're on everything. Do you want to give a little shout out to all your to all my fans and my followers? Yeah, you can't see what Paige <laughs> is doing. She's doing that rap kind of sign with peace her, sign. the peace sign and all that. My uh, Twitter, where are you? Uh, at Turley underscore Page. Um, Facebook, if you just type in Page Turley, my like page will come up. You can give me a shout out. Yeah. Excellent, and you've got gigs galore coming up. You've yep. got all sorts of things to do. New be... videos and all that jazz. Right, um, check them all out at Paige Turley's websites. Make that your second port of call. Make your first port of call, scottkiwi.com. Go on my SoundCloud. Go on the, my Twitter, at <laughs> uh, Skiwi Music. Uh, Facebook, listen to this podcast on Stitcher Radio. Do what Paige is going to do if she hasn't already done it. Go on your iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Rate, review. She's got her phone right now. She's going to do that. We'll be one more subscriber up. Oh, yeah. Um, so rate, review, subscribe, listen in. We've got a brilliant interview coming next week. You don't want to miss it. I'm not going to tell you who oh, it is. I'm not going on. to tell Andy who it is. Just stay tuned. ScottKiwi.com. We will see you guys next week. Thanks for the little comments. <laughs> <laughs>